Hello and welcome in today. I'm excited to have friend and colleague Lexi Ostrich, who is a program director at Fargo-Moorhead Area Foundation. Lexi is responsible for the foundation's annual grant round, scholarships, caring catalog, community engagement, and is the nonprofit liaison for the foundation. Welcome in, Lexi. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course. Um, it is wonderful to see you again, too. It's been a while. So it um, has. It has been awesome. So back uh, in the Wichita, Kansas, uh growing community foundation days. You it's are correct. Absolutely. And then probably also ancillarily trying to plan a a larger conference too, yes, as well, at some point absolutely. in time, back in 2020, a long time ago. So pre-COVID. So I'd like to ask you kind of uh, what you're listening to. Like, do you have a podcast or TV program or maybe uh, something you're reading right now these days? What's, what's yeah, going on? Well, I'm a mom of three under seven, so I don't have a ton of free time at the current moment. But I have um, started reading uh, the Storyteller Fundraiser. Um uh, by Russell James. I've been a storyteller for the nonprofit side of my life um, for the last nine years, telling nonprofit stories um, to donors and community members. And so kind of learning to tell a little bit of a different story with a different hat on. So. Oh, that's awesome. So can you describe a little bit more? I mean, you can't just leave me with that. So like when you're talking about storytelling, like how, how you use that? Are you literally just are you you're not just spewing data? You're telling them a story whenever the donors ask and that sort of thing. And can you give us a garden variety of like how that goes? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I have found success in really talk, you know, relationship building with donors and community members, but really connecting them to what our great work that our nonprofits are doing. And so instead of saying, you know, the local homeless shelter is you know, seeing this many clients and they're at max capacity and all of these different things. I talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe one or two specific clients that they're seeing and the families that, you know, have called the, sh the shelter home for the last um, 18 months and they have, you know, four children and they're for the first time are moving in to stable housing. And then I get to talk about another nonprofit that came in and helped make sure that that family um, of four and those children and I can rattle up off their names, you know, have um, beds and new bedding and, and stuffed animals and a closet full of things and, and how philanthropy has made that possible. And so that's, I'm learning to, to do my storytelling a little bit like that. So. And so how do you collect those stories? Do the nonprofits tell you or do you actually get them via the grant process or how does that how does that look like or what is yeah like? so we do it two different ways um one it's part of our grant process so they are asked to submit some sort of human interest story to us um images are a plus um and then if they receive a grant from us through our unrestricted grant round then they also do it as a on a follow-up final report and it's also something that i do a lot of site visits with nonprofits um and so I have a little arsenal of things that I talk about each site visit and kind of pull some things out of my hat, but probably the last, you know, for sure the last year since we've started to dabble back into in-person site visits, um, it's been one of my bigger questions is tell me, tell me a story. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I may not be able to gather every single detail of the story, but I can get enough of a high level story to be able to connect that back Um to a donor that gives to that organization or a community member or a professional advisor that's called and has clients in their office or something like that. And so have you seen that work 
have you seen like a light bulb go off with a, like a donor or somebody like that who's just said, oh my gosh, I never knew or. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. We just had, you know, one the other day it says, you know, I really, what's going on in at-risk youth or who's doing great work in at-risk youth in your community. And, you know, I was able to pull and say, well, here's an organization that's providing, I mean, really specific things for at-risk youth. This is what they're doing for for, you know, John and, and he's, you know, he's couch surfing and he needs, you know, gas cards and he's trying to get to his job and, you know, he's a student and just really try to connect them. And, you know, the donor was just completely like, well, A, did not know that organization existed. It's, a, you know, a little bit of a quieter, smaller organization and B just was blown away that their dollars that they were going to grant to this organization ultimately could go to so specifically that they could really connect with that. And um, they were just like, oh my gosh, well, yes, I want to give gas cards to John and I want to give, you know, make sure that he can get to his job and he's, you know, trying to provide for him and his younger brother. And, you know, there's just so many different stories and a lot of need out there. And so something I've just incorporated into my site visits is to really try to capture a Sometimes they're high level and sometimes I ask some prodding questions to get maybe a little more detail enough um, to be able to connect a donor to, to that organization or that work. So. Oh, that's awesome. And then anything that you you looked at with that James book that you're reading that you're like, oh, that was an aha moment. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah. So if there's nothing that comes quickly to mind. Just Well, you know, just one thing would just like to how storytelling can connect, you know, one person to another person. So simply, but how it can be done really like simplified. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen how some of those stories where like they're eight word, you can tell a story in eight words or something like that, where, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny, you know, whatever the, and I think that is just really, now I keep doing that. <laughs> I keep doing that. It's like, well, how can you tell the story in a more simplified but attention grabbing way for a donor or for a community member, whomever you're talking to, the goal is to have them lean in and, and really remember that. Oh, remember, you know, Lexi was talking about that. And they, I want them to think about kind of what we've conversed about. I want them to go home and I want them to sit down and say, well, you know, I really heard this really unique story about X, Y, Z um, today, or, you know, I want that story to resonate with them and to really um, I don't know. I, some of the stories are sad and, and, and there's a lot of need. And if they can connect with that need, they may turn around and maybe um, philanthropically do something bigger or better or connect with that organization in a different way as in a volunteer role or something like that. Well, that's fantastic. I have to tell you that there are times where I remember like kind of cringing where I told a story and I started off with something that was probably not the best intro. And then the person is confused. They're like, what are you talking, what organization are you talking about? I'm like, well, that didn't nearly have the impact that I was hoping it would. So yeah, it's, it kind of has to happen organically. I mean, it kind of depends on, you know, depends on the donor who you're talking to. They're not always, you know, wanting to hear the the stories, but I think if you can kind of weave it in, um, I think it can kind of stay with somebody. I know it has stayed with me when people have done that to me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh gosh, I, you know, I can still remember some of those stories that those nonprofits have shared with me and I've been doing this 10 years. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, Shifting the focus now, what two programs, projects, initiatives are you really proud of right now over at um, Fargo Moorhead? Yeah. So one of the things, you know, we have been doing some impact investing. Um, We've been talking about doing impact investing for a long time. Uh, We've been 
a little scared um, and, and kind of dipping our toe in here and there. But I think in the last 18 months, we really hit the ground running. We've got some uh, application process in place. We can officially say we've hit over a million dollars landed out. Nice, um, nice. You know, some of those things that you know, it, it took us, a we took a windy road to get here and we certainly don't have it all figured out yet. We, um, you know, haven't been doing any marketing of our impact investing program. It's really been something we've um, held on, in, you know, internally a little bit, done a really word of mouth is how we found current projects. I think we have four currently um, uh, lended out on one that we did a loan, we're a loan guarantor uh, for a local nonprofit, which that was a little bit of a different um role we played as well, but they needed uh, a loan guarantor for a specific fit up of, an, of a, a building and they needed kind of someone to kind of stand behind them and, and support them. And that one, we didn't have to lend any money out, um, but we were able to kind of stand next to them. So that was kind of a unique thing as well. So basically you're using your assets to secure the, having the nonprofit secure their loan then. Correct. Basically, yeah. yeah. So is it, um, when you when you describe a loan program, the, the target is for nonprofits to utilize the loan fund, it sounds like, is that correct? Yeah, so for capacity building, you know, Capacity building, capital building, um, you know, we did, you know, some retrofit of a of a, a space so they can, you know, um, use it for their clients. Um, yeah, a couple, you know, variety of different things, some mm-hmm. renovations to some group homes that are coming on, um, brand new transitional youth housing. Uh, that's, um, that's a, that's a fit, that's a build up from the ground up multi-year project. But yeah, majority of them are nonprofit organizations and, and really capital needs. Um, you know, we originally had started the, the impact investing program to really be maybe a gap loan program where a large organization, their furnace goes out and it's, you know, we live in Fargo, North Dakota, and that's a $70,000. Um, and how can we, you know, bridge it and, and they get a new furnace within a couple of days and they're back running, they pay us below market rate on interest over the next five years and um you know we're good to go so it, it's certainly um there's a lot of different ways you can do and structure that impact investing program um I, it's not new to the field by any means um but everyone's doing a little bit different some people are using intermediaries things like that we actually thought about that but we did decide to um for now do it in-house and and so yeah like i said we we can officially say we have a we've done a million dollars in loans um uh, but it did take us um, several years to get there. So don't think we did it all in uh, one shot. We we were a little bit on the slow boat for a bit. But Yes, I talked to your CEO a while back about impact investing. So I know it's been a bit of an uphill climb, but it's good, yes. great to hear that you're at a million dollars. So uh, that's fantastic. So yeah. did you... Um, did you, did you see anything, are things really running smooth right now, or you still have some learning curve to go on with the impact investing? Yeah, I think we have a little bit of learning curve. I think the biggest thing is we haven't quite, um, you know, are we going to be fundraising and, and, and kind of doing some sort of large or mid-size campaign, so to say, to, to do, turn around and have a big pool to, to pull from right now we have you know, 1.5, And so really, you know, you are, um, you know, we can grow it, but we're going to need more money in there to grow it um, unless we're taking, you know, unless we have some donors or fund holders or things like that. So we're we're kind of in a, 
you know, wait and see area a little bit with some of the loans that we have currently out. And then also, um, you know, how we decide to kind of move forward into the the quarter two and quarter three, if we're putting together some sort of campaign, so to say, or um, outreach marketing. We don't, right now, we just have done very little marketing of the program, just because we're we're limited on dollars we have available to loan out. And so we don't want to put it out there that we're doing all these things. And then suddenly we have a backlog of, of nonprofits, you know, building buildings um, and you know, we don't have any money to loan them. Well, we'll so. just make sure we don't post the podcast to North yeah. Dakota then. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so did you, you know use, it's happening? It's not right. a complete secret. But. <laughs> did you use unrestricted dollars to seed this fund or did you solicit donors or a combination of both? We um, ended up doing some, um, took a, but well, this is probably about five years ago, but we took 2% of our overall assets mm-hmm and put it into an impact investing um, program. Oh, wow. So nice. we we, yeah. we took it right off the top. Um, and, um, you know, that's what we've been using the last handful of years. And then the goal really would be to bring in some new dollars or have fund holders say, you know, wow, that's really cool. Why don't, instead of investing in XYZ uh, stocks or investing in these in the market, why don't we, on, you can use my my DAF uh, DAF pot and go towards you know some sort of loan or something like that. So, so just to clarify, not to get too much in the weeds, but when yeah. you say you took the two percent or whatever, so the the composition of Fargo Moorhead is it is it mostly uh, discretionary monies or scholarships or DAFs or what? Yeah, what we're you? we're a pretty good mix. Okay. Um, we we're, what is a little bit different from us is that. Pre 20, we are trust formatted community foundation and switch to a community, um, community switch, switch to the other, uh, <laughs> community foundation structure. And so we're no longer, we have some assets in trust pooled accounts and some in additional pooled accounts, but, um, we're, we're pretty, I mean, we hold a lot of donor advised funds, a lot of designated, a lot of scholarship, not as much discretionary. Okay. Awesome. Um, and so, uh, again, I'm going to kind of move into another question here, another different area, but can you share a challenge? I mean, you you really do border two states, right? Yep. And service two states and two yep. rural areas. Can you describe like a, a challenge or an opportunity kind of in that in that space? And how, yeah. do you, how do you do that between two states, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Fargo is located, Fargo-Moorhead, Moorhead's on the Minnesota side, Fargo's on the North Dakota side, and you can literally throw a rock from one side to the other. And so we serve, we're a place-based community foundation. We serve Clay County in Minnesota, Cass County in North Dakota. Um, obviously, a lot of challenges in regards to how, wh- where state funding goes to certain nonprofit organizations. But also, um, North Dakota has a really great um, endowment tax credit, and Minnesota does not. Oh, and okay. so that's um, the, it's it's a challenge just because if if the donor lives on the Moorhead side, um, they're not eligible, obviously. Um, but the, on the North Dakota side, it's it's a very lucrative um, tax credit. It's forty percent tax credit on a five thousand dollar gift up to twenty five thousand per individual. So we have a lot of donor advice fund holders that are utilizing that that tax credit on the North Dakota side. Um, so that's. It's certainly a benefit, but also a little bit of a challenge. And then just how nonprofits are funded. Um, 
you know, on the Minnesota side, you know, we do, you know, Fargo Moorhead is definitely a, um, you know, a metropolitan area for our state, you know, for where we live. I mean, we don't, but we do have a lot of rural, like very outside rural communities um, that have maybe one or two nonprofit organizations that are serving. Um, and we, t- we tend to try to kind of scoop them in and, and, you know, help them the best we can. But a lot of our nonprofits, and I mean, we, in those two counties alone, we have over a thousand nonprofit organizations, 501c3. So we have a lot of nonprofits. We're nonprofit heavy for sure. Um, but, and, you know, as far as community foundation landscape, North Dakota um, it has, there's, you know, the North Dakota Community Foundation, a couple smaller community foundations in Minot and Valley City, um, things like that. But, pro- you know, five probably total for the entire state. Mm-hmm. Whereas Minnesota, you, you know, obviously have Minneapolis that has a wealth of, of foundations, corporate, um, commu- you know, corporate and, and others. But, um yeah, so you know, certainly North Dakota is a little bit more of a rural, and you know, there's a lot of need rurally in North Dakota. Um, we only serve Cass County, so we don't see a lot of those needs. Yeah, but as I understand, though, North Dakota has actually gotten more diverse. Fargo has gotten more diverse with some oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. 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 We're yeah, and we're growing. I mean, we, you know, we're a, a very much booming. Um, uh, community and not, you know, five, six to eight years ago, that maybe could be tied to oil in, in, in Western part of North Dakota, but um, that's slowed down significantly. And, um, but we still see a lot of growth, a lot of um, new commercial um, businesses and things. We just had our Amazon um, distribution center that brought in thousands of jobs here to um, Fargo as well. And so we're, we're seeing a lot of, of that type of growth as well. And that brings um, certainly, uh, um, you know, revenue and those types of things, but also, you know, makes, you know, workforce shortage uh, a real challenge, um, affordable housing, those types of things, affordable childcare. I've got three kids. I can talk on that one. But um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the two cities, absolutely. I think the biggest thing we see is, is has to do with that North Dakota charitable income tax credit program. And did you, um, do you see a theme within your nonprofit community as program director? Um, do you see a theme with like either needs internally for an organization or an issue or cause that really has bubbled up in your community? Yeah. You know, food insecurity has been really something we've seen growth in, especially since the pandemic. I mean, I think we went from, you know, a couple really mean food pantries to now four or five different food pantries and some pantries going from, you know, one specifically, we just volunteered at last week as our staff, you know, where there's, they were seeing clients, clients could come every other week prior to COVID. Now clients can come every other month. And so, you know, you think about, and I mean, they're getting a lot, you know, uh, but they really have, I mean, those individuals or those people really have to navigate the food pantry system in order to um, make sure their family is fed. And so we certainly see a real growth in that food insecurity, you know, cost of groceries, those types of things that are all um, growing. And then if you're, uh, you know, so that would be one for sure. Um, And, you know, 
workforce, they're having a tough time finding and keeping, and that's nothing, we're not, we're not any new than any other probably community um, across the nation right now, but workforce is definitely a challenge. Um, finding workers to work in affordable childcare, um, you know, childcare workers is extremely challenging. Um, retaining those employees and, and how do you, how do you get creative and your retention, um, you know, that that's challenging as well. So. Yeah, I mean, we obviously, uh, it seems like everybody comments about that every time I ask that question. And yeah. it does seem to be challenging depending on what, uh, you know, that internal staffing. And it really doesn't matter what field you're in, but it's been a real challenge for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Um, so uh, final question, like, do you have tips for community foundation professionals who, you know, like, is there a tool or idea that you'd like to share or like to tell people about? Yeah, well, I think a tip, and I guess this is more, you know, for new staff that are brought into community foundations, um, there's so much to learn. And, and I, I've been with community foundation, though this community foundation for now almost 10 years. And I've done the community foundation fundamentals two different times. Mm-hmm. And I have found such value. And one of them was when I was a brand new administrative assistant. They, you know, my um, you know, uh boss at the time said, you know, we really we see you, we want you to learn about the community foundation work. But it was so important to have kind of that base knowledge um, of how community foundations work and, and the ins and outs and some of those things. So I always encourage anybody that's new to the community foundation world or hiring new staff or something like that, the benefits of the fundamentals course that's put on by a variety of different um, organizations now, I believe. But And then maybe my idea to share, because I am a... Um, I administer scholarships here at the foundation. I've done that for a number of years. Something we're looking at doing is anyone who works with scholarships knows that they are challenging to administer. There's a lot of legwork, a lot of tracking down students, all sorts of things. But something we're looking at possibly um, opening up is is a fund here at the foundation called the Opportunity Fund. And it's a specific scholarship fund that is for first-generation college students um, and or um, new American college students. Any, We have a couple of different parameters we'll put in place, but it's, it's a fund that we're going to set up in hopes of when a scholarship, when a new donor wants to come and set up maybe a small in-memory scholarship or something that's like that, we can maybe redirect them to this fund to help streamline some things, but also um, have a fund that's that's geared more to, towards the students that really need the scholarship. Yeah. And that could make or break them being able to attend um, a university or a trade school or something like that. So yeah, I think that's great. That I think that's great. That's a, a great sharing moment. You know, we we actually did that at our community foundation. We did this general one because, to your point, you have people come in and say, "Hey, I have a smaller scholarship," and and you know, and how many scholarships do you have? Uh, fifty. Yeah, that's a lot funds. to administer. So, and I know others that have much more than that too, as well. But fifty is a lot. So yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, anything else you want to share before I let you go on with your day? No, I don't think so. Thank you for taking the time and having me on. This is great. Lexi, we really appreciate you having you on at Emergency F. So thanks very much. Yeah, you bet. Well, it was great to have Lexi Ostrich stop by, Program Director at Fargo-Moorhead Area Foundation. 
want to encourage you all to visit the website at emergencyf at uh, emergencyf.com or you can reach out to us at emergencyf at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe, tell friends about it, and uh, let us know that you like the show. You can always go on the uh, website and send a comment, or you can also go and uh, plug in your email and go to emergencyf at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and this is Emergency F. Emergency F.